0: reading for today is from John chapter 15 verses 9 through 12. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, let's try that again. I know I'm new and everything, but good morning, everybody. (laughs) It is great to see you. I want to just say Ryan has incredible courage today to ask me to come and speak on parenting. Because just think of all the stories I could tell of him as a child. I mean, it would just be the most, I mean, we could have the most fun in the world here today, just me telling you stories of him being goofy as a child. I've got a list of them, like 20 or 30 of them here. It could be the most awesome thing in the world. But I'm not going to do that. I might tell one in just a minute. And I do want to say, Shondell is here, uh, Ryan's mom and my wife. She's sitting right over there, so it's good to have her here. And also, I, uh, Ryan was joking earlier about him being the uh, first child, so he didn't turn out so well. We have our third child here, Luke, so he's the perfect child, obviously, in our family. He really is a great guy. I love Luke a lot. Ryan does, too. So does his sister, Alyssa. Everybody loves him. I do, want to, I do want to start with a story of, uh, of our kids growing up, because it illustrates to me what it means to be a parent. When uh, our kids were growing up, we would often come to the East Coast for vacation. I think that's why some of them have ended up on the East Coast along the way. And we were out on the beach uh, somewhere, I think it was up in Maine or something, and uh, the waves at that part of the beach, you could wade way out, like 100 yards out, and only be this deep. It was a very, very uh, long, long way out you could wade. And I, uh, uh, two of the kids, Ryan and his sister, saw this rock that was way out there. So we just said to them, be, be careful, you know, be, don't go where anybody else isn't. So they, they decided to wade all the way out to this rock. Waited all the way out, We're up on the beach. Well, while they waited out, they sat on the rock for a little bit, and as they sat on the rock, the tide came in. So when they tried to get down off the rock, and we're sitting on the beach, maybe 100 yards from them, something like that, uh, couldn't hear them, of the, and they couldn't hear us because of the sound of the waves. Uh, we saw them try to get off the rock, and now the water's like up to here. And not only is the water up to here, but there's a tide that's going out real strong tide. You can sort of see them struggling against it and then going back to the rock, getting off again, struggling against it, trying to get back to the rock. So we're standing there starting to look around for a lifeguard station. We can't see any lifeguard station that's near. Uh, I think I just read this story about a dad going to try and save his kids and he's the one that got drowned and the kids were okay. And I thought, you know, I'm not that great a swimmer. I'm not sure I'm the one who should swim out there and try to swim, tow both of them back in. So here we are standing on this shore, watching all this go on, and wondering what we're supposed to do. Just We're just getting ready to go up the beach to try to find some lifeguard when this guy on a canoe uh, uh, came by, and uh, he paddled up to them on the rock, told them to grab on, they both grabbed onto the end, and he paddled them all the way in until they were like up to here, and then he made them walk the rest of the way, in. and you could tell how bad the, the undertow was, because they were like struggling even at that point to get in. And they made it. They were obviously they were alive, because Ryan's still here today. You knew, you knew the end of the story. It took a lot of drama out of it that you knew he was alive. but I uh, and then that night started to worry about what could have happened. You ever do this as a parent? What could have happened? What if they tried to swim in? What if we hadn't found a lifeguard station? What if the guy in the canoe hadn't come by? What if they hadn't been able to hold on? I just sort of got overwhelmed by those worries of what could have happened. And it's, it's been, down through the years, sort of an illustration to me of the realities of parenting. That the trap that sometimes we find ourselves in as parents, and this is true in many other arenas of life, too, even those of you that aren't parents. We feel trapped between this inability to do what we want to do in the moment. We can't do everything we want for our kids. And this worry about what could have happened because we couldn't do everything that we wanted to do in the moment. We're trapped in this zone of life. And sometimes we wonder, is there really anything, is there enough that I can really do? And I'm I'm here to tell you, there is. There is. God has a role for you to play. You can't be God in your kids' lives. You can't be everything in your kids' lives. But you can be something. You can be something incredibly significant. And one of the ways to get out of that trap is to realize, God's put me in their lives. They've been given to me as a gift, and now I have the opportunity to give back to them in the ways that God has given. You can't be everything, but you can be something very, very powerful. I wasn't going to tell this story, but one other story, since we're talking about this, and I can tell. And this one isn't about Ryan. It's, about, it's not about us as parents, it's about a couple of other parents, a guy by the name of Amram and a woman by the name of Josabeth. They had a little boy way, way back in uh, Egypt, and when they had this little boy there was a law, a rule in the land that all the baby boys were to be killed because the Israelite people at that time were starting to overwhelm the Egyptian people by numbers. And they decided, at risk to their lives, to hide their little boy. They decided to take Moses, their little boy, and hide him from the authorities, risking their lives. Now, can you imagine, first of all, when Josabeth is pregnant, is it a boy? Is it a girl? They couldn't know that day until the baby was born. And then it's a boy. So there's great joy, but there's also this moment of great terror in their lives. They decide to hide this baby. And then along the way, they take the baby, remember, down to the, to the water to let it go so that eventually Moses could come into Pharaoh's house. Now, Josabed 's going to raise, by God's grace, going to be able to raise Moses the way that it works out. But he is also attached to Pharaoh's house. But the way that that happens, and here's this other picture of parenting, is This is all about water and parenting today because she takes baby Moses down to that water and puts him in this basket and she lets him go. Heads him towards, floats him towards this opportunity of a lifetime for him to be in Pharaoh's household. And as she lets him go, this picture of the uncertainty of parenting is there so powerfully. You know what parenting is? Parenting is planned uncertainty. You know what I'm talking about? It is planned uncertainty. You can make all the plans in the world, then they get sick. You can make all the plans in the world, then they do this. You can make all the plans in the world, and they don't work out. We're supposed to plan, but then there's the uncertainty of what's going to happen. And that's what you've been talking about during this parenting series. How do we navigate that? How do we walk through that? And you've talked about how do you set the right priorities, and how do you have the right kind of discipline. Today, we're going to focus for a few minutes together, just in a practical way, learning from Jesus about one of the crucial roles that we have in parenting. A lot of things we can't do. Here's one thing we certainly can do, and we get to do a lot of it every day, and that is communicate. We've got to communicate to our kids, and we've got to let them communicate to us. Now, I could talk a lot about listening to them and how to be a good listener, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about that, but I'd really like to focus more today about the things that we communicate and what you have to say. So if you've got, some, if you've got a program with you, there are some notes in there with some verses well, that doesn't work very well, does it? I mean, that's just not the way to do that. That's... So as we, uh, as we st- talk today, <laughs> you always need technical support. Thank you. <laughs> as we talked today about communication and how it works, now it's like I feel like a little kid because it's a little bit tall, though. It's a... <laughs> there we go. As we talk about communication and how it works, what I want to do is learn from Jesus. What does Jesus teach us about how to communicate as parents with our kids? Just get some tips, get some ideas, get some strength from him. The power of five different things in our communication. Number one, in communicating with kids, the power of honesty. The power of honesty. You learn from Jesus that the foundation to communication is trust. If there's no trust, there's no communication. I, uh, a number of years ago, spent a good amount of time reading through all four Gospels, just asking myself one question. What about relationships? What did Jesus say about relationships, and what did Jesus do about relationships? Just listening, learning, trying to figure out about how the Master teaches us about relationships. And as you look at how Jesus communicated with people, there is no doubt that Jesus communicated with this honesty that is different than you see anywhere in the world today. It's the kind of honesty that we'd want in any communication, in any relationship, but especially with our kids. When you look at Jesus' honesty, it's a different kind of honesty than we have today. You look at Jesus, he's able to just be starkly honest with people. He could look at his closest friends, a, a guy by the name of Peter, and say, Peter, get behind me. You're being Satan to me right now. Did you know that? Now, would you say that to your closest friend, get behind me, Satan? Maybe some of you would, but that's an unusual way to speak in the world today. That's the way Jesus was speaking. Jesus could look at the people that were the greatest enemies of faith in other people's lives. They were called the Pharisees back then. And he could call them a brood of snakes as well. He had many, many difficult things to say to people, but he always said them in a way that they kept coming back to him. They kept being drawn back to him. Now, when I try to communicate honestly sometimes like this, it tends to push people away. But Jesus communicated honestly, and he continues to draw people in. The only way I could figure that that happened is they saw the love in his eyes. They saw how deeply he cared. And that's what you and I need. We need this power of honesty in our communication with our kids. And it starts with the very simplest of things, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's that first verse you see in the outline, Matthew five thirty-seven. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. How many of you can remember back when you were kids, you had no idea what your parents were talking about? You had no idea what they meant. They, they would go into these long explanations and you'd go, what was that? Sometimes kids just need yes and no. If you want to circle some words, circle the word yes and circle the word no. They seem like very simple words, but that's the power of communication. And all of us, we've all had this experience with our kids of of the yes and no and how they take things. A little five-year-old comes to you and says, can we go to the park later? And you say, oh, sure, 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 sure. And then you go on with whatever. That little tiny sure, that little tiny yes, that's like somebody calling you and saying, do you know you just want a million dollars? I guarantee you, you want a million dollars. And by the way, we're driving the million dollars to you in a new car, which we're also giving to you. Guaranteed, it's coming your way. It'll be there in five minutes. That's, how would you feel if you got the, that kind of call, phone call? Very anticipating the next five minutes, watching what's going to drive up to your door. When kids hear that sure, they hear it as this, yes, we're going to the park. And you and I, we're just going through our day. We're just saying the simple word. Now in a minute, we're going to talk about the fact that none of us, none of us, none of us get it right all the time in communication. So if you're one of those people who likes to beat yourself up in church and think about all the bad things you do and how wrong you are and, you know, how much God shouldn't love you because you didn't do this or didn't do that, just don't go down that road. He loves you amazingly, wonderfully, powerfully. But he does have some things to teach us. And one of the things Jesus teaches us, and if I'm going to be a better parent, one of the things I've got to learn is to really work on letting my yes be yes and my no, no. Now, the only way I know to do that in a practical way is to take a breath sometimes because you're running through the day. So you hit these moments where there's a yes or no. There's a red light or a green light, and you've got to take a breath. Okay, is it going to be yes or no? Think about it for a minute, and then you give the yes or no. When you constantly say yes and it's no, trust is lost. Or if you constantly say no, no, you can't do that, oh, well, maybe just this time. No, you can't do that, oh, well, maybe just for tonight. Then all of a sudden, trust is lost there as well. So when I can do what Jesus says, if I'm going to learn how to communicate, I want to learn from Jesus, I've got to simply let my yes be yes and my no, no. Now, James 3.2 is this verse that I wanted us all to be honest about. If, well, let's read this one together because I want all of us, I want you to be in this one with me. I don't want to feel alone reading this verse. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Anybody in here perfect? I'm sure not. There's no such thing as a perfect person. So the Bible says no one is perfect, no one is perfect with their words. If you could be perfect with your words, you would be perfect in every other area of life. That's how powerful our words are a whole different sermon, but that's how powerful our words are. So you're going to mess up sometimes. So you get a phrase in your mind, when I, when I mess up, I fess up. When I mess up, I say, sorry, I was wrong. I don't know what it is. It's this little four-year-old, and we messed up in our communication, and somehow we, we, it's this barrier to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But a lot of us have that in our lives. When you mess up in communication, one of the ways that you let your yes be yes and your no, no, one of the ways you continue to be honest is to say, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have said we could go to the park. I didn't know this was going to happen. You just let them know. You don't make something up. You don't act like you always knew what was going to happen. You just say, this is what it is. Now, you need in your life, and I need in my life, God's power, God's spirit in order to do that. Because without God's power, without God's spirit, we tend to be self sufficient we tend to be selfish we tend to be self focused and that causes us especially with people that we have some power over and a 4 year old would be one of those or an 8 year old not a 16 year old but maybe a 4 or 8 year old when we feel like we have power over them we tend to try to act powerful without god's spirit without god's love so first you start with the power of honesty first thing you learn from jesus now in a more practical way second thing you learn from jesus in communicating with kids is the pa- and with anybody by the way is the power of questions. The power of asking questions, the right question at the right time. Jesus was an absolute, absolute expert at this. He had the ability to ask people the right question at the right time in the right way and draw something out of them that was not there before, that they didn't know was there. So a couple of examples are there. You see in Matthew, who do you say that I am? He asks his friend Peter. Everybody had been wondering, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the promised one? Nobody would say it because they'd been waiting thousands of years for the promised one. They were afraid to say it. So they're having this discussion about some people say you're this Jesus, some people say you're this. And instead of Jesus telling them who he is, he looks at his friend and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You're the Messiah. He makes his statement of faith that he would not have made without that question. That's the power of asking questions. Or another example you see there in the book of Mark, chapter 10, a blind guy by the name of Bartimaeus is sitting by the side of the road, and he's yelling out, you might remember this story, Jesus, Jesus, come and help me, Jesus, come and help me. Everybody's saying, Bartimaeus, be quiet, you're bothering Jesus. He's got to get through the city. But Jesus comes over to Bartimaeus and says, and he did this many times, he says to them, to him, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't say, here I am. He didn't say, here's what I can do for you. He asked him a question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And Jesus healed him that day. The power of questions. So you and I, as parents, one of the things we got to do is ask the right kind of question at the right kind of time. Now, when you ask questions, there's a way to think about this. Ask them as a guide and not as a counselor. Some of you are counselors in here, and you know that sometimes counselors get they sort of get uh, uh, joked about for the kind of questions they ask. But it is true that counselors often ask reflective questions you know you know what i 'm talking about? You say to a counselor i 'm feeling bad and they say Tell me why you're feeling bad. I'm feeling bad because the day is bad. Tell me about the day. Well, I really don't like this day. It's really. Tell me about why you really don't like this day. It's just all. Who's a counselor in here? They're looking at me like, yeah, yeah. It's just all reflective, and that's okay in a counseling situation. But as a parent, you're not just a counselor. In fact, you're not primarily a counselor. You're a guide. You're a guide. And if, if a guide has taken me through, maybe uh, taken me up a, a, a mountain, and he knows or she knows the next time I go up that mountain, they're not going be to be there. I'm going to take another group of people up that mountain. They're going to ask questions along the way to help me to learn, to help me to get it. Okay, now we're at point B. What's, now here we're standing here. We're supposed to go to the right or the left. Which way should we go? I'm either going to get it right or wrong in that situation. And by saying which way we should go, all of a sudden, instead of looking for a reflective answer, they're looking for a directive answer. And that's the kind of questions we want to ask. The kind of questions, whether kids are preschoolers, we do this a lot when they're preschoolers, or they're in teenage years, the kind of questions, do you really think that's a good idea? And it lets them know something. There's something about the power of those kinds of questions that can change everything. So you ask questions. Now, I have to be honest. Sometimes when we want to get the point across as parents, instead of using questions, we often use volume. Would you agree with that? I mean, we just do. We're frustrated. It's not working right. We don't have time. We've got to get there. So the volume just goes up, and it gets louder and louder. Don't you know that? And we all wish we would never do that, but we do. We're human beings. We want to get the point across. We love them, and it's important to them. And it's important to us that they understand this. But the truth is, we don't want them to do what we're saying to do. You think, wait a minute, yes I do. That's exactly what I want. I want them to do what I'm telling them to do. But in the end, that's not what you want. You want them to do the right thing. And if it's just what you're telling them to do, what's going to happen when you're not there to tell them anymore? So the reason you ask questions is to give this directive guidance it helps them to get to the place where God wants them to be. You use questions. That's the power of questions. Third power we learn about communication with Jesus is the power of pictures. In your parenting, just use a lot of pictures. The Bible says this of Jesus. I'm just learning from Jesus how to communicate. Matthew 13, Jesus always used stories in illustrations like these while speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using a parable. So, however I'm communicating, I mean, if this is in business, if it's in school, if it's preaching, if it's teaching, if it's with children, if it's with teenagers, wherever you're communicating, if I'm going to learn from Jesus how to communicate, I'm going to use pictures in my communication. Because Jesus did. He constantly used pictures to help people to get it. I always think people are getting what I'm saying. Do you feel this way too? But then you have a talk later and you realize... had no idea what I was just saying. I mean, it just went right over their heads. And the first thought is, what's wrong with them? I mean, what I said was so simple. I used just such simple words. Why couldn't they get this? Communication is tough business. It's just tough, tough business. I'd like to be an expert at communication, but most of the time I feel like I'm finger painting still. And I think many of us feel this way because it is just difficult. Other people are thinking different things. They're coming from different backgrounds. And even now, they're, they're listening to you part of the time. They're on their phone part of the time. Other things are going on. Everything's taking our attention. And communication, we're trying to get it through. Pictures have the power in that situation to take what you're thinking and help people to see it, to visualize it in a different way. So those of you that have younger kids, children's stories and all the, sto- the pictures that are in those stories, they're incredibly valuable. The power of those stories in children's lives are incredibly ba- valuable. Since, since our kids were little, I've told them the story of a fuzzy-wuzzy bear. And now I get to start telling it to our grandkids. A fuzzy-wuzzy bear who had lots and lots of fuzzy-wuzzy hair. And he wanted to cut it off. Because Look at you guys. I mean, you're all adults. And I say, fuzzy-wuzzy bear. And you all like woke up like, oh, a story. This is awesome. I mean, it was getting boring. But now we got a fuzzy-wuzzy bear story. That's the power of a story. It just wakes you up. It's a story of a bear who didn't like his hair because it bothered him. He thought, why did God give it to me? And he cuts it all off and discovers that it protected him from the sun and from the the bushes and from uh, the cold. Whatever stories you use, sometimes you might make them up, many times you might read them. Use stories to communicate with your kids. And stories don't always have to be, in fact, they probably always shouldn't be, hey, this is what happened when I was a kid. They get past those sometimes. They should be like just the things that people see every day. In fact, as you and I use stories to communicate, what you really want to do is learn from Jesus and use some of Jesus' stories. Look at how Jesus taught And, and the stories that he taught with. He talked about a man who was hurt by the side of the road and somebody who came by, a Samaritan who came by to help him. It's an unforgettable story. If you haven't read the Bible, read the New Testament, you still probably have heard that story somewhere on the edges of your memory. Such a powerful story. Jesus tells the story of a coin that's, that's lost and someone seeking to find it. Jesus tells the story of a son who runs away and how he finally comes back and his father welcomes him with open arms. Jesus tells the story of some seed that's planted in the ground and some of it doesn't grow because it's on hard ground and others, other seed grows up because it is on ground that is good ground. Story after story after story. Here's, here's your homework. If you love homework in church, here is, here is your homework. Read through Jesus' stories and use those stories in your parenting whenever you can. Use those stories somehow to picture to your children what God can do in their lives. Jesus tells the story of some birds and the fact that God cares for those birds. And if he cares for those birds that are unable to care for themselves, don't you think he can care for you? So why do you worry? Why do you worry so much? Maybe that's the story some of you need today. Just that quick reminder, powerful, that quick reminder of what Jesus said about birds and he said about flowers. They're here today and gone tomorrow, but God clothed them better than he clothed Solomon in all his glory. Just that quick reminder of those stories can say something to your heart that is incredibly powerful. So in your parenting, use stories. When they're not getting it, use stories. When they seem to be getting it, use stories. Jesus used stories all the time because he knew... And he, used, he was perfect. He used perfect words every time. But he knew if he was going to communicate from someone who understood something to someone who did not yet understand it, the bridge was going to be a story. Well, we're parents. We're trying to communicate something we understand that our kids don't understand. So stories are incredibly, incredibly valuable. The power of pictures. The power of questions. The power of honesty. The back of your outline. Fourth power. Is the power of touch. Part of communicating with your words is the power of touch. As the sun went down that evening, all the villagers who had any sick people in their homes, no matter what their diseases were, brought them to Jesus. And the touch of his hands healed everyone. Now, here's my question Why did he touch them? This is God in human flesh. Jesus could have said, heal them all. They would have all been healed. Done. Okay, I've got a better night's sleep now. We don't have to stay here all this time and touch everyone. Why did he touch everyone? If you ever read the Gospels, the way that Jesus healed, he often touched people. People were blind, he would touch something to their eyes. Sometimes he would put something on their eyes. Why would he do this? He's God in human flesh. He could just say, be healed, and that would be it. He could say, be healed, before he even got there, and they'd be healed. He could say be healed before they even thought of asking him to be healed and they would be healed. But he touches them. He touches them because Jesus didn't come into this world just to heal people. He loves healing people, obviously, but he came to communicate that the love of Christ is something all of us need in our lives. And by touching people, he communicated the love of God. By touching people, he communicated who God really is. There is power in our touch. And so you and I as parents, one of the ways that we communicate is to touch our kids. Now, truth is, this is easier when they're in preschool. And when they're three and four years old and they're running up to you and they're getting on your lap and you're hugging them, and that's that's a lot easier. And you should touch them then. Some of you even have a struggle with that. You grew up, you say, hey, wait, this whole, okay, I, I was honesty, questions, I got all that, uh, that's good. This touch thing, I grew up in a home where there wasn't a lot of hugging and touching and that kind of thing. So now you're getting into like culture. Now I'm getting into Jesus, honestly. I mean, look at what Jesus did, look at how Jesus acted. So some of you need to break through the culture that you grew up in, the family system that you grew up in, the fears that your dad or your mom had about giving you a hug, you need to break through that. Be the one that breaks that chain and be willing with your preschoolers to give them a hug. But most of us, that's not us. Most of us, we're fine with preschoolers. It's when they get in grade school or especially junior high or high school, and you give them a hug and you get the, "Mm," back. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you get this, like, "Mm," you know, the Popsicle stick. That's it. You're not getting anything back from me. Oh, Mom. Oh, Dad. You know, that kind of a thing. And I just want to say to you, keep hugging. Just keep hugging them. You may not get much back during those years, but you're giving something out during those years. You're giving something to them. You're giving a gift to them as you continue to hug them and let them know, I love you. I love you. And especially when someone is hurting, there is tremendous power to touch. You know, we're, we're in a big church at Saddleback. There's a bunch of people there every weekend. And one of the things we as pastors do is just, we can't see everybody every weekend, but we go out on the patio after church and see as many people as we can. And I can't tell you how many times, it's amazing to me how many times somebody writes a letter and says, hey, Pastor John or Pastor Tom or Pastor Glenn or Pastor Rick happened to come by and just give me a quick hug. You don't know what that meant for me. You you don't know how that got me through the next week. Maybe it's a single adult who doesn't get a lot of hugs, a lot of affirmation. We need it even as adults. But parents to kids, the power of our touch is an amazing thing, especially when healing is needed. When your children are sick, you touch them, but also when they're emotionally sick, when they're emotionally going through a tough time, let them know that you love them. There's very great power to that. Jesus shows us there's great power to touch. And then a fifth one. And we're going to spend a little little bit of time with this one going through several different ways of doing this. The power of your response. The power of the way that you respond. When you communicate with your kids, have you noticed that sometimes they communicate back to you? This happens sometimes. And have you noticed that sometimes when they communicate back it's not always a positive response back to you. There are times when the response that comes back to you is a little difficult to handle. Well, I wanted to learn from Jesus on this, because people were very negative with Jesus very often. He was challenging, he was challenging people to the core, and because he was challenging them, they often responded in negative ways to him. And you, as a parent, you're challenging your child sometimes to grow. You're challenging them not to, not to eat the ice cream, but instead to eat the vegetables. That's not a fun challenge always in life. You're challenging them not to play the video game, but to instead do the homework. That's not a fun challenge. We don't like it as adults. As adults, we don't like it when people challenge us. So obviously, kids don't like it. And because of that challenge, you get this response back sometimes. What do you do? Well, here's some things to learn from Jesus power of your response when criticized give a clear and confident response sometimes as a parent you will be criticized by your children is this a shock to any of you in here if it is it won't be for long it's another 2 3 weeks when they actually start to talk you'll see that as a parent you will be criticized by your children sometimes now as preschoolers they have you know little preschool ways of criticizing you they they call you bathroom names and stuff like that. That's what they love to do. When they when you grow up, when they grow up, they say, you never let me, or you know. There's ways of criticizing because you've touched a nerve. You're challenging them to do something they don't want to do. You're disciplining them. And so their response is to criticize. Jesus was often criticized. And Jesus could have responded back with the most scathing of words, which is what we want to do. I mean, they're little preschoolers. They're, they're doing these little preschool things, and we want a little preschool thing back to them. I mean, that's just the way we are as human beings. But instead, Jesus always just gave a clear and confident response when he was criticized. This is why I'm doing this. This is what the Father says. He was able to do that because his identity was not wrapped up in what that other person thought of him, what the Pharisees thought of him or his disciples thought of him. His identity was in who he was as a son of God. And when you and I realize that our identity is not wrapped up in being a mom, being a dad, our identity is focused on the fact that we're a son of God, we're a daughter of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When our identity is there, we're able to give a clear, confident response. If your identity is totally in being a mom or being a dad, you will not be able to do this. Because one word of criticism will be devastating to you. How could you say that? All I've done for you. All I've given to you. The things that maybe you heard your parents say. Why did they say those things? Maybe because their identity was too wrapped up in parenting. Or in something else in their job. The more, and this is a lifetime project by the way. At least it is for me. I think it is for most of us. The more our identity becomes wrapped up in who we are as God's child. The better we're able to parent our children. And that's key with this criticism. When criticized, you give clear, confident response. When doubted, what do you do when you're doubted? You offer proof. You don't say, how could you doubt me? Don't you trust me? You don't put it all back on you. Jesus could have. But remember, I think one of the most famous times this happened was when one of his own disciples doubted him after he was resurrected. After he was resurrected, all the other disciples told Thomas, hey, we just saw Jesus. Thomas says, I doubt it. I mean, if, if I can see him, if I can touch his hands, if I can put my finger in the wound in his side, then maybe I'll believe. Jesus shows up the next week and he sees Thomas there and he says, Thomas, why don't you touch the wounds? Why don't you touch my side? And Thomas says, I don't need to, Lord. But Jesus, instead of saying, Thomas, why didn't you trust what the rest of the guys said, making him feel bad about himself, he says, here's the proof. You've, you've doubted it, you've asked for proof, here's the proof. Your kids are going to doubt you. They're going to doubt what you say, the facts of what you say. They're going to doubt what you say, whether it's the right thing to do. So you just tell them why. Now, I've discovered as a parent, the longer you take to offer proof, the less they're going to doubt you in the future. Because the last thing they want is a 30-minute lecture on why you're right, on why what you say is right. So if you just take the time to lay it all out for them, that's going to really help them the next time, to really wonder whether they should doubt or not. Joking aside... There's going to be a time for some of you when they doubt your faith, your faith in Jesus, those of you that are followers of Jesus. Some of your kids are going to doubt your faith in Jesus. That's going to be their path to faith in Jesus. So what do you do when that happens? You do what Jesus did. Jesus was doubted for being Jesus. So sometimes you're going to be by those closest to him. So sometimes you're going to be doubted for following Jesus, even by those close to you. And the emotion's going to rise up in you, and the thing you're going to want to do is attack. How could you say that? How could you feel that way? Don't you see what I stand for? But instead, Jesus shows us, just offer proof. Well, let me tell you the story of how I came to Christ. Let me tell you what it means to me. You're going to have to make your own decision. But here's what I made my decision based on. When ridiculed, don't respond to the insult. Sometimes, criticism will grow into ridicule, and even from our kids. So what do you do when that happens? You don't let the insult become the incendiary remark that continues this Hatfield and McCoy's battle into the rest of eternity, sometimes it feels like. You can pile insult upon insult upon insult in a family, and some of you have families where that has happened or is happening. And one of our privileges as parents is to not let that path begin. When the insult happens, You decide in that moment, instead of insulting, I'm not going to respond. In fact, Jesus, when something was very insulting, there's a difference between a doubt and an insult. When somebody says, I doubt you, and somebody gives an insult, Jesus didn't even respond to the insult at all. He didn't give it the time of day. He was silent to insults. He answered doubts. So it's okay to say, I'm not even going to answer that one. That doesn't deserve a response. Some things don't deserve a response. Jesus teaches us. And then I think my favorite thing I learned from Jesus about the power of your response is, when you're backed into a corner, you turn on the light. And here's what I mean by that: They would often try to back Jesus into these corners where they would say, "Okay, well, we'll ask Jesus this question first. You ask him this, then you ask him this, and then he will not have an answer. We got him trapped." So, like one day they came and said, "Jesus, um, this this coin here that we pay taxes with, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or should we not?" Because they knew if he said yes we should pay taxes that then he was affirming Caesar. A lot of people would be mad to him. If he said no, then he was denying Caesar, and other people would be mad at him. They thought he is absolutely trapped. There is no way out of this for Jesus. And some of you remember what Jesus said that day. Jesus said, look at the coin. Get a coin, look at it. Whose inscription is on it? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And they all walked away like this head scratching, what just happened? I mean, what just happened? That's what you want to do to your kids sometimes, as parents. (laughs) Where they come and you ask, they think they've got you. Okay, you've got to let me go to this party with my friends, or no one's going to ever love me anymore. And you say something like, why is it so important to you? Why is that so important to you? When you know that you have a God who loves you. Or why is that so important to you when you've got these other things in your life? And they walk away sort of scratching their heads. That's when you know you've done a brilliant thing as a parent. And you get it like once or twice in your life. So when it happens, just rejoice in it. Oh, this was a good day. Oh, I love this day. Rejoice in those days. Jesus could do it almost every time. I want to learn how to do it from from him, from his example, sometimes. When you feel trapped, you're different than Jesus. I'm different than Jesus. When you feel trapped... In between two ways of thinking. You need some time to think. He could give it immediately. Well, give me some time to think about that. Because when you're feeling trapped, you're gonna, it's the fight or flight syndrome. You're either going to fight against your kid or you're going to run away from the situation. So when you're feeling like, oh, this is not a good situation. All right, I need some time to think about this. And then you ask God for the third alternative. When you're in these situations where neither thing seems like a good choice, i found there's always a third alternative. Give to Caesar, give to God, what should we do? Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. You look for the third alternative for your kids sometimes. When it feels like there's no good decision in a situation that they're in, you help them define what's the right thing to do when it seems like there's no good thing to do in this situation. Well, the right thing to do, obviously, is keep loving God. The right thing to do is to trust him even in this. The right thing to do is to realize he can use even this. The right thing to do is to take a difficult situation, a difficult discipline, even though you didn't deserve it sometimes, asking God to use it in your life. There's a lot of right things to do. That's the power of your response. Now, I'm talking through these with great confidence. The power of your honesty, the power of your questions, the power of your pictures, the power of your touch, the power of your response It's easy to say. It's easy on a Sunday morning standing here in church talking to a bunch of adults, a bunch of parents, to say how easy it is to say these things in parenting. But when you get out there in the battle, have you discovered along with me, it is not so easy? You often say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It is easy to say these things, but at the beginning we read this verse that said, no one can control their tongue. So let me just say, how do you control your tongue? Let me just say two things about that. First, you don't control your tongue. You don't. The Bible says no one can control it. So that means you've got to learn to ask for forgiveness. Because you're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. That's part of parenting is saying, I was wrong. Let's do it together now. I know this is going to be tough for some of you. So let's do a little practice here, okay? I was wrong. I could ask you to look at your husband or wife and say it. But no, I'm not going that far. Not, not going to go there. You've got to learn. And I've got to learn to be able to say those little words. I ask you for forgiveness. You don't control your tongue, but the other part of that is you do control your tongue as you rely on God's Spirit. God's Spirit gives. One of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The ability to control what I say to enable me to say the right thing at the right time. Truth is, if I'm going to get to where I need to be on this one, communicating with my kids, I've got to have an honest talk with myself, honest moment with Jesus, concerning what he said in Matthew 15:18. In Matthew 15:18, Jesus said, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. C- things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. Words get their start in the heart. Now, I don't want to believe that. I'll just tell you, I don't want to believe that. I want to believe, I didn't mean to say that. I want to believe, well, that's not me. That just slipped out. I want to believe, I heard somebody else say that, and I just sort of passed it along. But the Bible says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. So if I'm going to communicate well with my kids, I've got to sit down, honest moment with Jesus, and say, that's just the truth of me. If I said it, there was a reason I said it. And the reason I said it isn't your fault or your fault or society's fault or an accident's fault. It's my heart's fault. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute. I thought this was about me communicating to my kids, not about me and my heart. It is about you and your heart. Because that's what it comes down to. And one of the challenges in my life about parenting is it brings out how much I need Jesus in everyday life. It brings out how far I am from where I think I really am. I'd like to think I'm really great at forgiveness, but then I find myself saying these things to my kids. I'd like to think I'm awesome at kindness, but I find myself being unkind to my kids. I'd like to think I can handle any circumstance and see that God is above and beyond the circumstance, but then I find myself so frustrated in frustrated words with my kids. And it's a reminder of reality to me. So what are you going to do about it? are you going to realize, I'm going to realize, I hope, I need Jesus in my heart. I know that's a very simple childlike thing to say, I need Jesus in my heart, but maybe one of the best things we can do as parents is do what Jesus said, become like a child sometimes, and realize at the very simple, basic level, with him in my heart, now I can communicate in different ways, and when I don't communicate like I want to, instead of blaming others, I go back to him and say, Jesus, first, first of all, I mean, it was partly their fault. But first of all, I'm coming back to you and saying it starts in my heart. I know that's where it starts. So would you keep growing me? Lifetime project. It's a lifetime project. And our kids get to be a part of this project. One of the great joys of parenting is how you grow closer to Jesus in parenting. And one of the great joys of parenting is recognizing that even in the mistakes, even in the stumbles, he knows you. He's right there with you. He's giving you the strength that you need for this day, this moment right now. So before we look to the Lord together at the end of this service in communion and celebrating who he is, I'd like to just spend a few minutes praying with you, praying for your heart, my heart. Would Would you pray with me? Let's just spend some time, make a place right there with you and Jesus. And just say to him, Jesus, my words are not always right or something like that. You know they're not. And I'd like to think it's something else, someone else. But I know the truth of what you're saying. It does start in my heart. And so keep growing my heart. Closer to you. Stronger in you. Help me to get to know you better and better through your word. And help me to pass that along to the people that are around me. And when I stumble in my words... Instead of getting caught up in guilt and shame and blame. I pray that instead I'd get caught up in your love. I'd get caught up in your grace. I'd get caught up in your forgiveness. And I'd pass that along. Lord, I want to pray for everyone in this room. Particularly for parents. That you would give to us together. A deep sense of your presence with us. A deep sense of the fact that, Lord, you're walking alongside of us. And Jesus, help us to learn from you. Help us to learn from you how to talk to the people that we love. Thank you that whether we had a good week this week with our communication or a bad week, you love us just as much. And thank you that through your spirit, through your word, through your strength, you can direct our words in a different way in one circumstance this week. I pray that would happen. We pray together that would happen in our lives, in our families, in our communication. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.